Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with a little bit of an oddball episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We are going to be talking all things WWE coming out of SummerSlam and touching back on some things that happened last week on SmackDown that did not make it to air Sunday night at WWE's second biggest show of the year. We'll also be giving you a little bit of a preview for WWE Payback, though our ultimate preview for WWE Payback will come out late Friday after SmackDown goes off the air. But also today, to fill in the rest of the gaps, we will be talking AEW Dynamite with that show airing on Saturday and WWE having such a massive weekend. We simply did not have time to cover it in any of our other scheduled podcasts. So this is going to be a loaded show. And as always, if you are only a WWE fan, if you're only an AEW fan, hit the episode description and we will have timestamps for every major segment on the show so that you can bounce around and listen to exactly what you want to hear. Though, of course, I always do suggest listening bell to bell to the entire show. Before we get into that, a couple quick hitters. You guys know how this all goes. I want you to follow us on Twitter. I know most of you have Twitter accounts. We're kind of stuck in a rut follower-wise. Hit us up at Getting Overcast. Yes, I know it's a little bit of a weird name. It's what we got right now, at Getting Overcast on Twitter. And this week, I'm not even going to give my Twitter handle or Chris's Twitter handle because the goal this week is to follow us on Twitter. You can also head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Folks, we're pumping out ultimate previews, instant analysis. This week, we're going to have four episodes. I think the least you can do is open up an app on your phone, type a couple words, the Silver King's awesome, Chris is incredible, and hit that five-star button. That's all I'm asking. Very, very simple request. Anyway, let's get into the show. Joining me this week, as always for our WWE shows, is Valiant Chris Vanini. I don't like that one as much, Chris. We're still working on the nickname thing, but Chris is here, and we're going to talk all things WWE and AEW today. I got to say, uh, coming out of SummerSlam, I was really riding a high, but coming out of Raw, and we'll talk about more on Raw and SmackDown, et cetera, in a minute, I am now tired. Like three more hours and immediately after a three-hour SmackDown that was truly energy draining. It was so exciting. Um, it, I am tired on this Tuesday morning. Yep, and I actually had to watch the second half of uh, of Dynamite after Raw, so I actually ended up pulling a four-hour night, even oh. though I don't normally do that on Wednesdays, but uh, it's a lot. And um, not a fan of Valiant Chris Vanini, but this is two weeks in a row with a V, so I'm picturing Bret Hart, but he's doing a VC. V with his hands <laughs> and we'll keep working on that tweet at us what you think my nickname should be I have some ideas I'm not allowed to give them apparently so we are leaving it to you guys well I said you can kind of give them to me off air we'll kayfabe it a little bit but I mean yes I I like vintage vintage is the leader in the clubhouse so far I right? I, I, I don't hate that one I don't hate and that. I think I like the VCV as opposed to like CCV or something like that and let's hope that there's not a second meaning to VCV other than like you know, like how submission sorority, yes, was, they, they name them submission sorority and then they go and like Google, hey, let's make sure no one else has called that. And it's like the name of a porn, right? So um, how about we make sure before we, uh, we we go on that? But anyway, look, long show ahead. One of uh, the people who finds submission sorority to be hilarious, in fact, 
is Renee Young. And before we get into the main event, before we talk about everything that happened in WWE and AEW this week, we would be remiss not to mention the fact that Renee Young had her last official day with WWE Sunday, basically in the pre-show, the kickoff show for SummerSlam. And when you look back on Renee Young's career in WWE, to me, truly, and I thought about this long and hard last night, she is a historic figure in this company's history. And it's not just because she is a woman who did a lot of things for the first time. That's all true. But when you think about backstage interviewers in WWE history, and that's primarily what she was for the majority of her career, show host and backstage interviewer, there are now two names on that Mount Rushmore. It's not even a Mount Rushmore because it's two names. It's Mean Gene Okerlund and it's Renee Young. And that is tier one. And every other person, Todd Pettengill, Michael Cole, when he worked backstage, Kayla right now, et cetera, et cetera, they are all tier two, tier three and lower. But Renee Young, eight years in WWE, and granted, like two of them were basically spent on commentary, which was not her strongest suit. But the other six years, she put herself on that mountaintop, where again, the only other name is Mean Gene Okerlund in WWE. So that is something to be proud of for her. I think she's tremendously talented. She's one of my favorite people in WWE. I've had the pleasure of interviewing her a number of times uh, from prior shows that I've been on and, and in person at WrestleMania weekends and such. Uh, certainly we have a little banter back and forth on Twitter sometimes, although we're not friends by any means. Um, and she just seems to be an enjoyable, fun, good-hearted person. And it looks like, based on her comments and what she has said, she is stepping away from wrestling. Now, I know Dave Meltzer came out and said in his Wrestling Observer newsletter that her working with AEW is inevitable. And I guess maybe just because of John Moxley, her husband, her at some point doing an interview show or a single segment, maybe that's going to happen. But the way her goodbye letter to WWE, which was published in the Players' Tribune, and her tweets and all this stuff read to me was if was that she is now trying to do something beyond the world of wrestling. She has a cookbook coming out. Certainly, she has previously, uh, ESPN has gone after her. She has a working relationship already established with Fox. She had a separate contract with them for her, then her WWE contract. And by all accounts, they like her. So I think Renee Young will be working in sports media. And whether that includes her showing up at some point on AEW, I don't know. But I think she, and I don't know how to say this without it coming across as if wrestling is less than, but I think she is better than wrestling. I think she, her career can go to extraordinary heights. And I'm very excited. I'm proud of what she did in WWE. And I'm really excited to see what's next for her. Yeah, I mean, she she has been an incredible talent and incredibly versatile in doing so many things like you listed off. I th I thought her greatest skill and, and, and where she shined the most was in those talking segments, the pre-show segments, the talking smacks. Oh, yeah. The, the, the raw post shows, stuff like that, where she can really direct traffic and throw her insight in there as well. She she handles that incredibly well. And we've known for a while that she was destined for bigger things. And I, I, I don't even know if I'd say she's better than wrestling. I would just say she's bigger than wrestling. She, she's yeah. going to... Yeah. She's going to have so many opportunities to do so many different things. And that's why, you know, everybody, you know, like I said, everybody want to say, oh, AEW, Moxley, whatever, she can do that. 
she's she's past that. She she is right. She can do bigger stuff than that. I know Charlie Caruso does uh, first take as well. I I wonder if she has some sort of future uh, like that in in terms of uh, a sports thing. But it could be sports. It could be entertainment. She can do a lot of different things. And to just to really to really show just how big of a deal she is was the fact that she got an article in the Players Tribune. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like like. Most wrestlers aren't getting that. Not a, you know, you got to generally be known to get a spot on the Players Tribune, and the fact that she got that spot kind of tells you where her stock is and, and where she's going. Yeah, no, it's a great point, and it's not to say that AEW is something you know less than WWE, but it is. I mean, in terms of viewership and in terms of eyeballs and, and name recognition, she didn't. I, I just can't imagine her leaving WWE. To go work as her primary job for AEW. I just, I, I, I would honestly be, I would be shocked if that was the case. Especially once they get back to traveling and she'll be traveling all over the world in the middle of the weeks. Yeah, you know, not the way, stuff. not the way in her Players Tribune thing that she talked about the relationships with WWE. And yes, I know maybe we're overlooking the fact that she got coronavirus and presumably it came from being at the Performance Center, although we've discussed it before on the show you don't know. She was traveling by plane. She could have gotten it. She could have been the one who infected people. She could have gotten it back in Las Vegas where they live. There's a million ways that she could have gotten it. But yes, it is possible it came there. And the fact that they weren't testing at the time, which was unsafe. And we rallied, you know, we railed against them for that. Certainly, um, there's the report out there. Meltzer reported that no one from WWE called her to see how she was doing. I, I honestly find that hard to believe. And it's pretty clear that John Moxley is one of Meltzer's sources. So look, I, I don't want to get into all the details of that any further, but if she if she held resentment with WWE, she would not have said the things that she did in the way she said them in her Players' Tribune article. So I just don't think, and I also think it would be really unfortunate if she left WWE, where she's established, they brought back Talking Smack, all this stuff, and she left it just to like go do backstage interviews at AEW. Or, yeah, I mean, she she had I mean, she had uh, the backstage show on Fox like she was doing a lot of things with WWE. It's not yeah. like, you know, it's not like AEW other than obviously being with her husband. But in terms of the work being done, it's not like AEW could provide more than, right. than what she's currently doing. If anything, they'd have to create they'd have to like create a YouTube show for her. And then even then, you know, you're dealing with a different level. She they, they did cancel backstage on FS1, but they were doing like you know, rewatches of pay-per-views and those were still fun watching her do that. So regardless, I think the point here that we're getting at is Renee Young's awesome. Uh, Renee Paquette is her real name and I'm going to miss her from WWE. Uh, I really am. She was a bright spot when you saw her on screen. Business picked up just as it would with certain wrestlers cutting promos. You see Renee Young doing a backstage interview. You know, it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be fun. And we now don't have that anymore. So I wish her the best. I'm very excited to see what's next for her. And with that, I'm going to take us into the main event. Speaking about other announcing legends in WWE, Howard Finkel. But let's talk about wrestling this week and the world of WWE. So, Chris, here is the thing about Raw on Monday night. If wrestling was a video game like Street Fighter, right, and WWE goodwill filled my health bar, above my character. Mine would have been completely full going into Monday Night's show. I could have sustained so much damage over three hours and still come out of Raw happy. I knew it was a 
Raw after pay-per-view show. So I did expect greatness because of that. But I also knew it was a go-home show for Payback. And And since it's within seven days, I knew it would be a little messy. They could have put on a mediocre show and gotten the total benefit of the doubt from me simply because of Payback. But so much of Raw on Monday night, and I don't know whether this is a minority, majority opinion, or right middle of the road, but so much of Raw was not even mediocre. It was legitimately bad and thoughtless that my health bar was depleted 90 minutes into that show. It was a struggle for me to get through the second half. It was such an insult to me as a wrestling fan that they followed up what was, by all accounts, a terrific pay-per-view with what I can only describe as three hours of mostly bad television. And it was so disappointing after I said on Sunday's instant analysis, and I knew I'd regret it. You told me in the moment I would regret it. But I said on that show that WWE might be back. They might have figured this all out at SummerSlam. Shame on me. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it just, it hurt your head just to kind of think about a lot of this stuff when just in basic, this is, this was supposed to be another go home show. We're we're going into payback and we got a bunch of payback stuff on this Monday Night Raw. I don't know how this leads into, we'll get into what payback is supposed to be, but it was just confusing at a lot of the things they set up. It, it, it's just incredibly strange and we'll get into AEW later. But like I said, when I went from watching that raw to then watching AEW and just seeing all the different ways they present things and tell stories, it was, it was, it was a stark example and really hit home even more just how strange that Monday night raw was. And I was with you on, I gave SummerSlam a B plus, but I said, everything was good. I, I really enjoyed it. They, they, they built stuff up, told pretty good stories leading into it. And we were curious, okay, they're going to do pay-per-views on back-to-back weeks. What is this, what is this going to, what is this in-between week going to look like? And man, I don't know if they could have handled that any worse. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've seen, you know, when WWE builds for like the blood money in the sand shows immediately after a major pay-per-view and they have two weeks to do it or 10 days and it's messy, but you're at least, you understand, right? So I came into this thinking, all right. They're going to just continue some of these storylines. They may create one new match or something for the show, but it's mostly going to be a a down show. They'll probably continue Orton and McIntyre and Keith Lee is going to debut. So I'm excited. Like you sold me on the show before the show even started. Despite the fact, by the way, they didn't advertise anything except like the arm wrestling match. Meanwhile, they had the Mysterios teaming up. They had uh, Bailey in a featured match with Shayna Baszler. They had Sasha Banks getting a fifth match or fourth match with Asuka inside of five weeks. So these were things you promote, and they didn't promote any of it. So I went into the show optimistic, but also cautiously optimistic. I was like, look, I have a feeling this is not going to be a great show, but I'm okay with that. I will grade them on a curve this week. Yet somehow, even grading on a curve, they managed to forget to fill their name in. Like WWE on Monday night forgot to do the minor things that matter. And we're going to break down every single thing that happened on that show. But man, like just straight up, I was really disappointed. Now, before we get into Raw, though, and I know I'm prefacing this with Raw, but we have to talk about the biggest announcement from Raw. And it was for something that's happening on the other brand on SmackDown. And I understand why they announced it Monday. They only have a week 
to build and promote the pay-per-view. So you want to announce it right away. But Chris, what they announced, man, it threw me. There will be a universal championship match at Payback just one week after The Fiend, after three tries, and I, the other ones were Bray Wyatt, but still, the character, finally defeated Braun Strowman. We will have The Fiend against Braun Strowman against the returning Roman Reigns in a no-holds-barred triple threat match. And, I know, and right off the bat, hey, Adam, why is this a no-holds-barred match when all triple threats are no disqualification? I know you're going to ask. All right, I already got, I got tweets about it. There's a difference, okay? No disqualification, yes, it does mean no DQ. It, it's usually, when, they, when you hear that, it has to do with potential interference. Maybe you can individually use a chair, the steps, stay outside the ring, not get counted out, stuff like that. No holds barred refers to like low blows, eye gouging. It also means to expect a match that is heavily outside the ring involving multiple weapons and destruction. So it's more about, the connotation that the stipulation brings rather than the actual rules and how they're enforced enforced. Okay. Well, yeah. That, that, that is weird. Cause triple threats are inherently no DQs. And then right. I always get confused why they don't allow interference. Just maybe I'm being nitpicky, but it's always bothered me. They're, they're basically just saying this is a triple threat match and these guys are going to beat the shit out of each other, which, yeah. which by the way, this match is the proper booking coming out of SummerSlam. Let's not get it twisted. This is the match that they should do next, but they should not be doing it seven days after SummerSlam. Why the fork are you booking this so soon? And by the way, Chris, please, for the love of God, do not hotshot the title onto Roman Reigns. They caught lightning in a bottle at SummerSlam with Reigns' return. They booked it right. Even having him beat Strowman with the Fiend not factoring in this coming Sunday would just be terrible. If you're going to book it that way, they should have made the SummerSlam match a DQ finish. So Reigns takes the title straight off Strowman in this triple threat match and doesn't beat the Fiend. Then you have the Fiend mad at Roman for taking the title, blah, blah, blah. And the Fiend and Reigns have a multi-month storyline. And, and that's how you do it. So. I just don't know why you would change the title to Fiend only to have Roman take it off of him. And look, maybe I'm being overly pessimistic here, but dude, it seems to me, and we'll, we'll do a full prediction for this match Friday night after SmackDown airs, after we see what happens, we're not doing predictions here, but it seems to me like WWE spoke to Roman and Roman's like, I'm ready, let's go. And Vince is like, Okay, well, you were supposed to win the title at WrestleMania. Let's make that happen as soon as possible. That would, in every way, unless maybe Reigns is the leader of Retribution and he's a legitimate heel and they force the title change where they hold down the Fiend while he pins Strowman or something like that, unless it is a Retribution-involved storyline, I am pessimistic that they are bringing Reigns back and just saying, Screw the Fiend, screw people caring about this match and liking it and enjoying the finish. We're just going to make Roman Reigns the champion. I, I don't know how you come out of this on S Sunday with a good result. I, I don't know. E either Roman gets the title right away and we're all upset about Fiend. 
Fiend wins and, and they blew Roman or Strowman wins and we wonder what the heck they were doing. There's interference. We get upset because it's a Schmaz finish in a pay-per-view. I don't see a result here that's going to like please people. So it feels like they just immediately booked themselves into a corner and they didn't need to. Maybe because, I don't know, maybe McIntyre is not going to be defending the title at payback. So they felt they needed a, a universal title match. I, I I don't know. It's just very confusing. I get why they had to announce it right away because you don't want to wait till Friday. I, I don't know. I just... It did. It didn't need to be this difficult. The the way they put themselves into the spot. We loved Roman coming back. We liked Fiend winning. You figure a triple threat match was going to be next based on how that finished. But man, to do it a week later in in this situation, I um, I I also am not. Uh, I'm not optimistic about how that's going to go. I I don't think that it's impossible to book it. And you know what? Like we're not going to do predictions, but screw it. Well, let's spend another thirty seconds each on this. The way you book it is Reigns, Spears, Strowman. Fiend hits him over the head with something, okay? And he rolls out of the ring. Fiend mandible claws Strowman, gets the one, two, three. And as soon as the bell rings, Roman is back in the ring, beating the shit out of Fiend and knocks Fiend out. And Roman's standing tall. Fiend is done, but he's still champion. And now you've set their feud going forward. Now that Reigns had it won, Fiend ruined it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That way Reigns isn't really losing. He's not taking the fall. And it's happenstance that he doesn't factor into the finish. But he immediately gets over the Fiend. So he looks strong. That is the only way you can book it. And look, I've been pretty hot recently, <laughs> prediction-wise. So maybe they, that's what they'll do. Maybe Sunday night, come Sunday night, that's what they'll do. But it just feels to me like they did not need to do this. Um, you're, to your point, you want a world title match on a pay-per-view. You don't want to go with that one. They don't have either women's title on the line. They had to pick one of the men's. Well, shit. Why are you extending Drew McIntyre or Randy Orton beyond payback and not this? This was your main event for SummerSlam. Yeah. So so why would you make that choice, especially when SmackDown is your A product? Or that, you know, at least in terms of ratings and, you know, importance due to the Fox contract. So Damn, like this was part one of bad decision making for me. But really, this was this pales in comparison because they can book their way out of it theoretically to what happened in the Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre situation. So, yeah, Randy Orton punts Drew McIntyre three times. Well, one one quick thing before we get into that. I'll just say, I I guess the only the only other way maybe I would have booked a Roman and this is just after the fact is you, you immediately say Fiend Strowman get a rematch at Payback. On SmackDown, Roman says, I'm coming for you, Fiend. I want your belt. He interferes in the match in some way on Payback. So Fiend gets to win. And so it continues that, oh, Roman's got an edge here. He wants the Fiend, whatever, do something like that. But anyway, that's how that's another way you could have done it. I think your way is is certainly possible. And and I just I guess we'll see. But I would have liked to build more to this. You're right, though. Strowman in his character has I'm not finished with you like as a catchphrase. that's all you do like Friday night or you haven't cut a promo on Instagram or Twitter fiend. I'm not finished with you. Roman yours will come soon, right? Like he threatens Roman, but he says to the fiend, like I, you know, I'm two and one basically is what you're trying to have him say. I beat you twice. You beat me once. I want a rematch. You have the rematch and you're right. Roman interrupts. They all brawl for a good period of time, five, 10 minutes. And it gets you really excited. But guess what fans would say? Oh, you gave us a smallest finish. It was a, 
you know, a bunch of crap. You didn't give us a real match. So they couldn't probably win if they went that way. But at least you're not booking Roman Reigns in a title match seven days after he's back, where everyone's excited that you're not just going to rush him and put him over again. Yeah. But the most likely outcome of the match is that they're going to rush and put him over again. Yeah. Right. All right. So moving on. Randy Orton uh, punts Drew McIntyre three times and Keith Lee debuts. And there's so much that happened here because the, the only positive really out of this entire thing is that they threaded it throughout the entire show. So yes. but we got multiple layers and it was a long term story, which means there's a lot for us to talk about. We're going to go part by part. Uh, I'll kind of break it down. Chris will jump in with some thoughts. I thought the opening to the show was very strange. McIntyre starts out. That's a good idea. He's the champion. He's the reigning champion. You want him to get that ovation. But he comes out and he's bragging like he's a heel. It was so weird. And the fake crowd noise that they piped in, it was not cheery and, and motivating. It seemed like they were negatively murmuring behind him. It was the exact opposite you would want him to come across in that moment. And that has to do with how he cut his promo and how they produced the segment. And I don't get it. It made zero sense. If you don't believe me, like if you think I'm listening to it weird, go back and watch it. I did twice. It sounds like everyone's like, oh, like while he's bragging, he's the face, right? He should be getting over good after he finally had his big moment. And then while McIntyre's talking, he just straight up challenges Orton again for no reason. After a match, he almost lost to Orton. Then he turns his back to the stage for the benefit of no one, by the way, because let's not forget the people aren't actually there. So he turns his back to the stage to put his title up and cheer and gets attacked. Then they go to gorilla position. He eats two punt kicks, both of which, by the way, Orton completely whiffed on and the camera totally caught. And he still gets up. Okay, that did make him look strong. That was pretty good. But why would you not have Orton attack McIntyre on his way to the ring and then have McIntyre issue that challenge later after he's being checked out by trainers? They took a badass, smart face, Chris, and made him into an egotistical dummy all in one segment. And it was just, to me, a massive, massive failure. I, I was so confused. This just came out of nowhere. I, I mean, if you want, if you want McIntyre to say he's overconfident and cocky now, I, I, I think you can do that. But it was—he was just so out there and energetic and flailing around, and a hundred percent sounded like a heel until he said. I'm a basically I'm a working man. I had to get through this. It was it was like they threw that in there to like make it clear he wasn't turning heel or something. But so let me fight you again and I'll drop my title. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just he, this this whole time McIntyre has been the confident, smart, cool under pressure type of face champion that we don't often get, and now he's just out of the office rocker, just so confusing, just did not fit what he's been doing so well for a long time. And I, I, I'm with you on the audio. Not only were they not cheers, but it was loud. Yes, like, it was nor- very loud. Like, yeah. Normally when, I don't know if it was like that on SmackDown or not, but it really stuck out on Monday because it, normally when they're giving these promos, the people are quiet because they're listening. They're not talking while a promo is being given. So that's, you know, w- when there's fans in the stands. So, that was weird. It was incredibly distracting. And and then 
you don't really get the reactions for the lines he is delivering. And just uh, across the board, every aspect of that was was incredibly weird. Like you said, turning her down to the stage and lifting the belt up. I, I kind of got that a little bit because they're in the arena. And this is what you typically do. And he's sort of looking at the fans that are in the Thunderdome, even though they can't actually see him directly eyesight wise. But yeah, just I was just my head hurt trying to understand what was going on there. It was just a strange, strange turn of events to get us to even more weird situations later in the show. It's just, it's just so strange because they could have had him walking down. Fans are excited to cheer for him, right? Orton attacks him from behind, rolls him down the ramp, throws him into the steel steps, punts his head twice, maybe even into the steel steps, maximum impact, right? And then your segment's done and everyone's like, oh my God, that was brutal. And then you do the trainer spot in the second segment. McIntyre says, that's how you think you need to, whatever. You could have just asked me for a rematch. You know, I'm a fighting champion, blah, blah, blah. Let's do this again. And then later in the show, as McIntyre's leaving, Orton attacks him again, punts him a third time. And he says, you know, that's what, this is what you want. You want more of this. And then now you have your match. Like, dude, I'm not a writer for WWE, right? Like, but I've been watching this this crap for like 25 years. It's really not that hard to book that. Now, I'm not saying that I, I, what I'm doing. Especially with truth. Especially yeah, yeah. with Drew, who gave a rematch to Ziggler, who's clearly a fighting champion and confident and wants to keep doing this. He's done it before, so you can just and, you know do that. And it's not unique booking. Nothing I'm saying hasn't been done before. It's very repetitive, but it works. Why would I don't see why you would book it that way? It was just it was just really really strange. So Orton comes out and he cuts a response promo that was basically nothing. He b- barely spoke before the music hit, and he gets interrupted by Keith Lee. And I said the music hit because it was music, technically. Um, but th- there were legitimate positives and negatives. Su- most of the negatives are superficial. But you know what? That's what wrestling's about. It's about the substantial and the superficial. All of it matters. So the positive here is they took Keith Lee, who you guys know is one of my favorite wrestlers, and they put him right in the main event spotlight, straight up with Randy Orton. And that's fantastic. He deserves it. His promo was pretty good, okay? But look, we have to harp on it. I have to harp on it, at least. They took his entrance music, which was legitimately incredible, okay? It was so appropriate for someone of Keith Lee's stature and power. And they played, I thought they were playing it. They gave us the intro, and then they give us, like, generic video game rock anthem that just, they just shoved onto the rest of his entrance. I was furious when I heard that. And yeah, I was so mad. His entrance, they took his entrance, the music, from incredible to absolute dog shit. Have you ever heard the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? I say this for real. I say this for real. I looked on Twitter. Now, WWE during Raw, during all their shows, they tweet from like 100 accounts. There's WWE, the Fox account, the Universe account, et cetera. Every single tweet they sent, I checked the replies. There were thousands of replies. 99% of them were complaining about the entrance music. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I, I promise. Now, I didn't scroll through every single one, but I looked at like the first 50 on each tweet, and they were all complaining about the entrance music, and they were all heavily liked and retweeted. So... 
it's just it's not just that they changed it but they had the gall to still use the opening and remind you like hey remember it used to be good right i got to know who's making these decisions and yes i understand you can come at me well the cfo's made that theme and they're no longer with the company whatever wwe commissioned the theme they own it i have to imagine he's he's been using it in nxt the entire time the cfo's have been gone i have no idea why you get rid of that theme. And by the way, that's not the only thing they changed about Keith Lee. They also made him shave his face. Yep. And now he's wearing baggy shorts instead of tight shorts and a black compression shirt where he's always, not always, I guess there were t- times in Ring of Honor where he wore a similar shirt. But for the vast majority of his career and his entire WWE career, he's been shirtless. And I don't mind the shorts change generally because... I mean, they were really tight, okay? And he's a big guy. So you want to put him in baggy shorts, that's fine. All right, I, whatever. But part of the appeal of Keith Lee is his massive size and athleticism. We saw it face-to-face with Brock Lesnar, face-to-face with Drew McIntyre, and face-to-face with Roman Reigns. It seems like by wearing that shirt, they're trying to hide his size. He's a big-ass dude. That's the selling point. What the hell are they trying to do with Keith Lee? Yeah, you know, if he had always worn that compression shirt, I actually thought it was a pretty good look. I I didn't mind it. But in the context of, like you said, he doesn't normally wear this. It was pretty obvious. And I mean, certainly we all know and assume that Vince thinks he looks a little too fat. So he wants to cover it up. Right. Like it's the only it's the only reason, I think, to explain any of this. Like you said, that's part of the appeal of him is that like he's totally. He feels like an everyman type of guy and makes you think that anybody can can do this type of thing. It just, the music happens and you're excited. Oh, Keith Lee's coming, Randy Orton. And then you hear the change. I'm just, oh, so upset when that happens. I thought Keith Lee delivered the promo fine for what it was, but it, it went back to something I always hate with WWE faces and that they almost completely speak in sarcasm. And his entire conversation with Randy Orton was essentially being sarcastic. And I know they got to a, I know they got to a fight later in the show, but how do you like debut Keith Lee and you debut him just with a promo? And he so, doesn't he doesn't chase Orton out of the ring or something like that or, or do some crazy move like as your first impression of Keith Lee. Like if you didn't know who he was and you watched that promo, you didn't really have reason to to be like, oh, I got to come back to the show, make sure I catch Keith Lee versus Randy Orton. So, and, and that's not on Keith Lee. That's on the presentation that they gave him. So just, you know, we'll, we'll see where things kind of move on. But I, I thought Keith Lee deserved a lot better than, than he got. I, although it was good he gets the main event spot. They obviously had big plans for him, and that's good. That's correct. But I just did, just did not like the way they debuted him. So I, despite all my criticisms about the look and the presentation, I'm actually going to disagree with what you just said because – they did two things. One, before he debuted, they showed a probably like a minute long video package of his highlights. So they That's told true. you, so they told you this guy's a big deal and you're going to want to stay tuned and see what he does, not just in the next segment, which, you know, whatever. I don't think they advertised he was coming out in a promo segment, but for the rest of the show. So they did tell you that he is a big deal. The second thing is from a promo standpoint, I don't think they changed anything. Keith cuts promos that way. That's him. So I didn't feel like it was a poor scripting. He just, while he's big and impressive and athletic, and he has an aura about him, from a promo standpoint, he's not my cup of tea. 
I guess, the way he cuts them. And I think that is more of what you're seeing there rather than they did something bad with him in the promo in that moment. So like we said, I don't watch NXT week to week. I only see him on the pro, yeah. on, on takeovers and some of the other highlights. So that that may be the case. He's not Kalisto, but he's just he's not, you know. It, it's a slow, methodical, sometimes sarcastic, sometimes video game references type of promo. He's his own unique type of character. And that's what we got there. So that didn't bother me. But the presentation really bothered me. And longtime listeners of mine know when Shinsuke Nakamura debuted on the main roster and they totally changed his Titantron and made it worse, far worse, okay? Um, I went crazy. That pales in comparison to changing Keith Lee's entrance music, okay? <laughs> it's night and day. Like, yes, I was pissed be- of that because it was really cool in NXT and they gave him like Japanese takeout type lettering, which I thought was not offensive, but like, rolling eyes like typical WWE and they made it yellow instead of white. And it was little nitpicks. And that was really nitpicking. This is not nitpicking. They demonstrably made his presentation worse on Monday night. And they don't always listen to fans, but they have a week now. And obviously he's going to be obviously a payback as well. Sorry, I hit the microphone there. Um, I hope just some goodwill, WWE, give your fans a bit of goodwill Change it back at payback. And this will all be forgotten. I'll forget you ever did it. But you yep. got to fix it. You got to fix it. All right. Anyway, more. Uh, so they have Lee debut in a featured match with Randy Orton. And Drew McIntyre pulls Orton out of the ring. And Lee just walks away completely indifferent that he just made his raw debut. And it got completely spoiled out of nowhere. This is this guy's debut match, right? The night after SummerSlam. And he just, they don't even show him on camera being visibly upset. I was angry about it. But. Lee did get the promo time later after Drew McIntyre got carted off in the ambulance. We'll talk about that in a moment, explaining he was angry, but he's okay with it because he's friends with Drew and the need for revenge superseded his need to be dominant in that match. Keith Lee's gimmick is limitless. And somehow Vince McMahon found a way to limit him right off the bat. He went from unique and special to generic in one show. And before we go back to Orton, that is my takeaway from Keith Lee. Yeah, I, I thought the promo to make up for it made sense as well. You know, they had that Drew McIntyre, Keith Lee bit on YouTube uh, last week heading into the weekend. That was really good. But again, you just you didn't need to do that. You know, we, we could have just gotten a Keith Lee. You know, we just we didn't get to see the full Keith Lee. And that was just. Very disappointing in terms of how you're going to do it now. You know, he's got a major match at payback. I'm sure he'll shine. They'll make him look good and all that. But uh, just, again, putting putting themselves in a situation where they just they didn't. I don't think they needed to do that. And they could have done it a different way. Absolutely. Now, coming out of that, Orton ends up punting Drew McIntyre a third time. And that makes it three in one night. The third one actually landed. Right. Yes. So that was great. Uh, but all of this is, as I said earlier, after McIntyre offered Orton a rematch without him even asking. So, as I said, I, I don't know why they would have done it in this direction as opposed to that direction. Also, they, also, wh- why is Orton doing this if he already has the rematch? <laughs> well, to, to weaken McIntyre, presumably. Uh, but, he, again, you could have just done it the other way. But McIntyre, they have him in the trainer's room. They come out. I think it was Charlie, but it may have been Sarah, whoever. Um, they say that 
they believe he has a fractured skull, which could mean a brain bleed and serious injury. So I respect the end goal of that, which is clearly to push this rematch off to the yes. next pay-per-view and not rush a rematch for payback. That completely works. So again, end result, good. How we got there, the journey, bad. But at the same time, they are now pushing McIntyre off TV when he finally got momentum with fan response at SummerSlam and then would have had it early in the show on Raw if they had done it right from a taping perspective. And you did mention it briefly. Uh, I thought they've actually nailed the ambient noise. The two times they didn't were the Sasha Banks and Bailey promo backstage at SummerSlam. It was just, it was booing, but it was too loud. And then this Drew McIntyre segment where it just seemed negative and it was also too loud. So very, very strange. But so they're pushing off McIntyre, who they finally got the momentum they've been seeking for him on screen. And now we have Keith Lee versus Randy Orton at payback. And that's not a match Orton should lose. And it's also definitely not a match that a debuting dominant superstar like Keith Lee should lose, right? So after SummerSlam was over, if you asked me Sunday night, I would say that I trust their booking and I am confident that they will do this well. But after Raw, I don't trust it anymore, right? Like literally 24 hours later, I don't trust it anymore. So we can go into details about how they should book, how they will book this on Friday night after SmackDown when we do our payback ultimate preview. But, you know, I'm glad that Keith Lee is getting this match and putting him in a program with Orton is all positive. There were just a lot of negatives that came out of this entire storyline on Monday night. Yeah, I said on our SummerSlam post show, I thought without a doubt we'd get Orton McIntyre rematch at Payback. Orton would finally get the title and they'd move on. But I was clearly wrong there. Um, yeah, and just another situation where an Orton Lee, I, I, I don't know how they come out of it. You know, I guess with people being happy, Keith Lee wins, we're happy, but Orton gets a title match despite losing two in a row. Orton wins, we're upset that Keith Lee loses his debut. Someone interferes, it's a schmaz. Keith Lee goes into another thing. I, I, I don't know. It's like, they're like giving us things that we want, but like... In the worst possible way. Too quickly. Like, we yeah. want that triple threat match. We don't want it a week later. We want to see Keith Lee versus Randy Orton. We don't want it to see it as his debut match. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, like, like so, when, like, it's like when, um, I forgot if it was Rollins, I think with Rollins, when Rollins beats Brock Lesnar, the next BC level pay-per-view, they gave us Rollins, AJ Styles. And it's like, yes, I want that so bad. I want it at SummerSlam. <laughs> like, 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 it doesn't, it's not yeah, really tough. Like, it's not tough to do these things. It's long-term booking, right? And, Maybe Roman coming back from the universal title angle threw a wrench in their plans. I can see that. But it didn't have to be this type of wrench. Yeah, it's just like, you know, like I said, I, watching AEW right after Raw, you get a, you can just get a feel that there is long-term story planning going on here in Raw, especially this week. You know, the previous month of, of, of WWE we thought was pretty good going into SummerSlam. But everything that we got on Monday, you know, just felt like real short-term stuff without well, thinking. Well, I want to, I actually want to disagree with you because the Keith Lee, Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre stuff does not feel like short-term booking. I mean, they booked Keith Lee and NXT to lose the title so he could go to the main roster. That was decided. Maybe it wasn't decided the day he won the title, but at least like four to six weeks ago that they knew he was going to come up to Raw. They knew Drew McIntyre was going to beat Orton 
and they were going to have Keith Lee have his debut match at, at Payback. This was all planned. So it's it's not even the it's not the long term booking that I think is an issue. I believe they booked this long term. I think it's the execution on Monday night. And PW Insider reported minutes before the show began that Vince at 7:20 p.m. ripped up the script. Now I don't know that that's exactly true, and they these reporters use the phrase ripped up the script a lot when really sometimes it's just reorganizing it and changing a couple things at the last minute. I don't think he rewrote a three hour script in 40 minutes. Okay. Or live during the show. So I don't know what did or did not change, but the, the idea of all this, Chris, of McIntyre beating Orton, Orton, Orton wanting a rematch, but Keith Lee, who is friends with McIntyre, who worked with him on Evolve, getting involved and in being a interim match where McIntyre gets injured, that is all fine booking. I have zero issue with any of that. And I do think it was well thought through. But I thought it was the execution that failed on Monday night. That's fair. That, 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 that's, that's probably a better way to put it than I was, than I was phrasing it. And, and the same thing goes, by the way, with the women's picture, which is what we'll talk about next. I think this was planned out well. But I think the execution was absolutely horrible on Monday night. SummerSlam, they killed it. You, you guys know. I quote unquote predicted it. I was thrilled. I was Barry Horowitzing throughout our entire instant analysis. But now I come here and I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? So we'll start with Shayna Baszler defeating Bailey. And speaking of things that did not make any sense, Bailey is in a singles match on a show she's not on without yes. it specifically being about the tag team titles, which is the only reason she's really appearing on that show. Then you have the Baszler Nia Jax interaction backstage. They do a DQ. And then they mutually get annoyed at the golden role models. So they decide to square off against them. There are legitimately on Raw three other women's tag teams. You have the Iconics, you have the Riot Squad, and then you have this Natalia Lana thing, whatever the hell is happening there. So instead and they of- were, and they, were on, they were on the show. And they were all on the show. And instead of pushing one of them into this match, which maybe they won't do the title change at Payback, and I- booked it a little early. Maybe they'll do the title change at Clash of Champions and they'll just let the seeds of hatred grow a little bit more between them. But they slap these two together. And after slapping them together, they immediately get a Raw, uh, sorry, a women's tag team championship match. And why is Baszler interested in doing this when for the last two weeks, she's been making a huge deal that she wants Asuka to win. And as soon as Asuka wins, she's going to be her first challenger for the Raw Women's Championship. So in kayfabe, Chris, why would she want to even be in a situation where she can win a Women's Tag Team Championship when she knows she can't trust Nia Jax and her, she had her eyes set on Asuka the entire time? This is the second time in like three weeks I've been very confused at Shayna Baszler's kayfabe reaction. She had a match where if, essentially if she won, she would have gotten a title match and she's okay with Asuka getting involved with it. Because then she wanted to beat Asuka. It made that made no sense. Okay, now we're here again, and she's not interested in that. Now she's suddenly teaming up with someone to go after tag team titles. I they're, they're just I'm gonna assume they just changed the plans for Shayna, but like that's two times that's two times in less than a month that she just doesn't look I don't know smart or just just very strange reactions to these things that are happening to her. And it's but, just but again weird. with the Shayna stuff. It was, this may not be long-term booking. Like it may not have been something they've been doing for four months, but they did tell us last week on Raw that Shane and Nia Jax was a thing that was happening as a feud, as a rivalry to get to this point where they have this match while Baszler 
had her eyes set on the Raw Women's Championship in Asuka. So this was booked at least for two weeks, maybe three. No, right. I, I, I'm saying the booking, like it was booked. I'm just saying, again, like you said, the execution just didn't yeah. make sense why she's okay with that now. And she wants to go after tag team titles with someone she was who's trying to beat her up instead of going after Asuka in the Raw Championship, apparently. For now, just, we just dropped that. The, the only good news I think about this, and again, we'll do our predictions on our ultimate preview Friday night, but I have to believe they're a placeholder and they're just to have this match. They implode on one another. Baszler and Jax fight. They end up having a match on Raw the next week, something like that. Because if you noticed in the Lumberjack match, which we'll talk about next, Banks dove directly onto the Riot Squad, like specifically Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan and took them out. They got up. They were angry at her. So it kind of speaks to me that hopefully this is just an interim match to put a match on the show with some big names. Jax and Baszler implode. Maybe Jax gets pinned or it's a count out or who the hell knows what happens. They escape with the titles and then we move forward into a real women's tag team storyline. But dude, I just, I was really frustrated. Yeah. Well, just have Shanna say, it, it maybe may, in some later promo or, or on YouTube or something, just have her say, Asuka, I'm still coming for you, but I want to get this tag belt and I want to be uh, Shayna two belts or something like that. Just, just acknowledge that what we saw three weeks ago is still relevant yeah. and I'm good. It just it, it, it feels like they it feels like they dropped something or, or ignored something. And that's very frustrating as a viewer. And it wasn't that. It was back-to-back weeks, as we mentioned earlier. So it's just, it's ridiculous. But then we have the Raw Women's Championship match, Asuka against Sasha Banks in a Lumberjack match. And dude, why did they book this? Like, legitimately. No, yeah. Why did they book this? This was the fourth time they fought for a title in five weeks. Why was there a Lumberjack match? Like, what was the storyline booking that made that a necessity? Asuka won clean at SummerSlam, and Banks was not going to win it back. And what about all these other women on the roster? You saw all of them around the ring. Why would you not have one of them start something with Asuka? Because you're going to move her forward, right? You're not going to keep her with the Banks and Bailey rivalry. So it made no sense. This match, legitimately, I know, I know I've said legitimately like four times the show, <laughs> but it served zero purpose for me. Banks just got beat again by Asuka. Bailey didn't fail to help her because Baszler interfered. Bailey was trying to give her a chair. So it didn't further the split between them. This was just a terrible piece of booking that made no sense and never should have been on the show. I, I missed the first like five minutes of the show, but did they announce it in that opening? Sometimes they do that. Did they announce it at the beginning of the show that this was coming? They definitely announced it in hour one. I don't know if it was the they very did, beginning they of the did, show. There was a, yeah, there was a graphic on the bottom right side of the screen later on when they said there's a rematch coming for the title. And I was like, what? Like, why? <laughs> I, I was yeah. like, wait, did I miss it? This was, that's WWE five years ago when they had the rematch clause in there and they would just run back every pay-per-view match on the following Raw. And by, and like, by the way, dude, uh, sorry to interrupt, but if you're going to have a rematch, why would you not have it at payback? That's, well, that's, yes, forced, that's, that's, Force Sasha Banks to again pull double duty and again have Bailey not help her because she's more concerned about being preserved for the women's tag team title match. You just do the same thing again if you're going to be repetitive. That's Sorry. what I'm saying. That's what I was saying at the beginning of this show where I said a lot of the stuff we got on Monday was essentially the payback part. And, you know, why does why does Sasha get the, the rematch and, and um, other people don't? I mean, I guess it was a title change, but they just. 
they didn't promote this right. It was it was something we've gotten like you said five times in four weeks, and they're great wrestlers, and the matches fine. Matches good, they're great, but uh, again, just you gotta like you gotta put the effort into explaining these things. So let's move off of Raw while we finish the main event before we get to everything else that happened in WWE. And there was a big title change uh, Friday night on SmackDown. Jeff Hardy defeats AJ Styles for the Intercontinental Championship. And this was cool to me. I liked it. I thought it was nice that they showed footage of Jeff being injured, but then they showed that it was Styles doing it, using the retribution attack as like a cover to do the sneak attack early in the show. The backstage promo and interaction between Styles, Sasha Banks, and Bailey that felt real and legitimate. Like it didn't feel like it was scripted, and that's obviously what we want out of wrestling. And then you give us the match. I thought it was a damn good match, man. They worked really well together. Hardy sold the hell out of the knee the entire time, including straight up falling off the top rope, which I thought was a cool spot. I was annoyed at first with the injured knee storyline decision because I mentioned they did like three similar type of set up to fail things early on SmackDown Friday. But the good thing is they didn't end up paying all of them off. So it didn't feel repetitive in the end, but it did feel repetitive in that first 30 minutes. I judged this one too soon because it ended up being extremely smart booking to keep Styles strong with Hardy using the knee, ba- knee brace, but not actually use purposely using it to get a DQ, just accidentally in the course of him wrestling, the knee brace hit Styles in the head stunning him before the Swanton Bomb and the 1-2-3. Now, they have not announced a rematch at Payback, but I have to imagine Friday Night on SmackDown, Styles is going to demand one. And, I mean, I don't I don't really have much else to say about it. I thought it was a really good match, a strong booking. The well, This is the last thing I'll say. A lot of people were really down that WWE was using Jeff Hardy's alcoholism and addiction in a storyline. But... This has been, and I think I said this last week or the week before, this has been a storyline not about his alcoholism, but about him redeeming himself. And that is a positive storyline. So for all the negative reaction that DUI thing got initially, I ultimately think that this has been a very successful storyline with Jeff Hardy. I I think so too. I just, it it always stays kind of in the back of your mind a little bit that he has done storylines like this before and he's fallen back off the wagon and so you kind of it concerns you a little bit to to addressing so directly but the match was good i i I, in general yes i like what they've done building jeff hardy back up having him redeem himself and um I, i i i'm coming i'm really coming around on the intercontinental title basically being like the SmackDown title, essentially, that like it's not on pay-per-views that, that we that we get it on SmackDown because that that gives me a reason to watch SmackDown. We'd be like, oh, what's going on in the Intercontinental title? I hear this has been pretty good. I got to watch SmackDown to know what's going there because it's not going to be on SummerSlam. It's not going to be on the other pay-per-view. We'll, we'll probably get it at payback. But I, I, I think this uh, stick stick the Intercontinental on SmackDown to help the ratings deal is um is is working and, and the ratings for SmackDown have been improving. So I, I think you have to say they've been doing a really good job with it. Yes, I, I think it's successful and, and I get it. And we talked about it. I would prefer the Intercontinental title to be on TV. I mean, on pay-per-views. Yeah, me too, but, for sure. But it's really not a harm. They want people to watch the show and AJ Styles and, and Jeff Hardy, these are big names. And if you're going to, if you're going to have the title 
be actively involved in storylines and contested in main events, that is properly using the title. There is no shame. There is no shame in having an IC title main event to SmackDown. Now, if you do it at 8.30 on a SmackDown, okay, yeah, maybe I'm not thrilled with that. But if you're going to do a main event match, you're going to give it 20 minutes, 25 with commercials. And especially if you're going to give me a title change, that is a really good use of it. And I like it now if Jeff Hardy ends up retaining I like it more with Jeff Hardy being champion than Styles because Styles does need to be on pay-per-views. He is still one of their top stars. He needs to be involved in title pictures. But you have to remember, the title picture on SmackDown right now is very much supernatural, right? It's involving Strowman and The Fiend, and now now they have Roman Reigns involved. So how do you get Styles involved in something like that? You really don't. So right now, what they've done with Styles, what they've done with the IC title, I just think it's been very smart booking, and they've utilized him very well. So overall, I think we agree this was a success. SmackDown, the go-home SmackDown, mostly was a success. There was a lot that happened that didn't really matter, and we'll talk about all of that in a moment. But this is a capper for it. Really worked for me. Yeah, yep. Just please get rid of that belt and redesign it. Go back to the other one. Yes, just go back to the other title. Maybe, hey, look, maybe Jeff will do it. I doubt it, but maybe he will. All right. Let's talk everything else that happened uh, on SmackDown that did not have to do with SummerSlam and then everything else that happened on Raw. Hopefully we get through it pretty quick. Uh, I want to start with the main event, Ray and Dominic Mysterio defeating, you know, technically, I guess, Seth Rollins and Murphy by disqualification. Maybe it was a no contest. I'm not sure, but they didn't lose. Uh, This was a really good match. Ray and Dominic as a tag team totally works. And they would be great going after the titles in this depleted division. I don't know why I never really considered them going in that direction, but they yeah. really should. I really think they should. And I'm sure Ray would love to work with Dominic. It made sense, by the way, for Dominic to get distracted by the lights and retribution. He's a neophyte, right? He's new. He, he's he's not uh, used to all the distractions that come with being a wrestler. So for me, that worked. And it was really good heel heat for retribution to attack them as they were finally about to beat for the first time Rollins and Murphy. This was the first sustained beatdown that Retribution's given to real superstars, even more so than Braun Strowman, because you have to remember the locker room came out to save Strowman. And yes, I am sitting here wondering, why the hell did the locker room not come out to save Rey Mysterio, the legend? <laughs> but but okay, whatever. I mean, it was it was to go off the air and they wanted Retribution to look strong. So I'll let that you go. Did just, it, it, they're, they're going off the air. It's late at night. Maybe a lot of people went home and there weren't as many people left in the locker room. Yeah, and that's fine. But this, this Chris, was from the match to the storyline with Retribution, 100% a success for me. Totally, totally. I, I like Rey and Dominic as a team. I... I, I, I want us to get away from this Mysterio Seth storyline. It's kind of been going dragging on for quite a while. It's been pretty good the whole way through, but I'm I'm ready for these guys to move into to other directions. And if that means Ray and, and Dominic uh move into tag teams, I think that'd be a great idea. Dominic again looked good in the ring and and um yeah, just really well executed, well booked, and uh yeah, just good all around. Kentucky Long Rifle, what is that, an email? It is, John, actually. We got Chris Ashley at GLV Soccer Guy. He writes in, first time, I guess, DMer, longtime listener. It was curious to not see Retribution do anything at SummerSlam. But with the short notice announcement about payback and the quick build, it seems like this Sunday could be the day we find out who they are. Do you think I'm right? Think about it. Retribution equals payback. 
I think he makes a really good point here. Mm. And what did we, what have we seen the last two times we've seen Retribution? On SmackDown, we saw like, first of all, like 15 of them, okay? But we saw them beat the hell out of Strowman, which is the first time they've actually gotten involved in a in-ring type of situation. They've run through it before in the time they chased everyone away and they used the, you know, um, what's that thing called? Uh, chainsaw, okay? Uh, sure. They used the chainsaw. But but they they hurt Strowman here. And then I think on Monday night, we saw a defined group because they attacked Mysterio and Dominic and then they stood. They didn't run around. They weren't screaming, yeah. They stood on the apron and they flexed as the show went off the air. And what I saw was two really big guys who I have to believe were Dominic Dijakovic, who, man, please fix that name, and Dio Madden. Um, and I saw either two or three women, one of which I think is Mia Yim, and then two or three, uh, two or one smaller guy. And I don't know who's who. I, the guys were very tough to tell. But I think with six people, it's the first time they actually defined this group. And they said, like, look at these people. Usually they're all running around, the camera shaking, and they did that here a little bit. But they stopped and they said, take a gander at these people. So I do think, especially if we see the same group Friday, that if we do see the same group Friday, I think we see an unveiling on Sunday. That's a good theory. I, I guess I'm, I'm curious uh, if they're going to be Raw or SmackDown specific when that happens. Obviously, they've been on both shows. I'm, I'm curious if there's a leader. I'm curious what the, the explanation is. I guess we'll just have to see if they do this again on SmackDown because it did feel different on Monday. It did feel like they're starting to narrow this down and define it a little bit and, and we'll get there. Because, um, yeah, they needed to change it. It couldn't be you do something, you scream, yeah, you move on. It it, it had to kind of focus on where it was going to go. And I think that's where they are. And I don't really know when it's going to come. And I kind of like that. I you know, I like that they pop out of, out of nowhere when I don't expect it. I like that they're not hyping up that they're going to be on the show. So I hope I'm surprised. I, maybe they show up at Payback. Maybe they don't. But I like that I don't know what's going to happen. And like I've said a number of times, they, they are giving this the proper amount of uh, attention and push that it needs. Um, I just hope they, they nail the landing here because that's going to be everything. Yeah, that's going to be the key. And I do think it has progressively gotten better. Now, I don't know that we're going to say the same about something else recently introduced, but I do think Retribution week to week, especially after those taped shows at the beginning, the very beginning was terrible, but it is now getting at least interesting, if not somewhat good. And I thought Monday night was their biggest success. I thought Friday was the, be the best, and then they came back Monday and did it even better. So I'm going to hold out hope that this is not a huge disappointment, and we'll keep moving here. Uh, Alistair Black joined the KO show. Owens went looking for him earlier in the show. You think he said on SummerSlam that Black was invited. So I like that. They told you Alistair Black was coming back. Yeah, then yes, that's good. That, that's a, right. That's a, sorry. That's a little thing. It's okay. He invited him back. That just, it gives us a reason. I'm good. Like you just, those little building blocks go so far. Just a little explanation makes a world of difference. And I appreciated that. Yeah, and it's a little promotion from Raw. Everyone's upset and complaining, where's Aleister Black? You know, why'd they write him off? You know, they're, they don't care about him anymore. Well, they bothered to mention him on SummerSlam. Then they did the segment earlier on Raw where his hand closes the door. And you're like, oh, interesting. And you knew he was turning heel. At least I did. I mean, I, it felt that way. And that's what they wanted to do. So they wanted to turn Black heel. And that's fine. 
even though I did think he was working perfectly well as a face, they just never gave him an opportunity to capitalize on it. But I thought he was doing a fine job. This, I'm not going to be overly critical, but it felt half booked to me as if they literally wrote on a script, Aleister Black turns heel and attacks Kevin Owens. And they didn't plan anything else for the segment. But Black looked good. He was in that all black suit. He had the black, it wasn't an eye patch. It was just a strip of cloth over his eye. So look, I'm not going to be critical. I'm excited that he's back. Aleister Black working with Kevin Owens and potentially beating Kevin Owens in a feud. That's big business. I'm very excited to see what happens with Aleister Black. Yeah, it was the way he turned heel was a little weird, like the faking the eye thing to then attack Kevin Owens felt a little weird. It was hard. It was it was hard for me to completely buy into it in the moment because I honestly had forgotten the whole eye thing and that's why he was out. And you kind of wanted him to get that, I guess, payback before he turns heel. And instead he comes back. He's got the eye thing on. You're feeling bad for him. And then he's attacking Kevin Owens. And is he just lashing out because he's frustrated? Is is it uh, is it just he hates Kevin Owens? So it, it was because you expected that to typically, you know, you come back after an injury, you're the face, you do whatever. So this was a different way of doing it. And as I'm talking this out, I like it more than I did in the moment. Uh, maybe I'm just explaining it away from myself. But um, yeah, it was a weird kind of step. But I think it'll get us to something that'll be interesting enough. I also liked him as a face, but I also want him kind of on his own kind of shining a bit. They, they've handled him in weird ways since he's been there, you know, being in that back room forever, asking for someone to fight. Then he's, you know, a partner to Rey Mysterio's group. And and, and, and so we'll, we'll see where this goes. They haven't quite landed on a good spot for him yet. So maybe this is it. The uh, host of the old show I was on, Brian Campbell, he used to say all the time, demons and demonic characters should not be good guys. So if Brian was still watching wrestling as consistently as he used to, he would be thrilled that they finally turned Aleister Black heel. I am excited for it. Um, I interviewed Aleister, I I think it was on the show, uh, back in the day, you know, back in the day, we've operated for five months. Um, But he's one of the first interviews that we've had on this show. And please go back in the archives and listen to it because a lot of what we discussed is very appropriate here. He talks about layers to his character, things being planned out. And according to him, he does have a lot of say in his character. And Vince McMahon seems to be interested in his opinion. The other thing Aleister Black does is it seems like even when tweaks are made to his storylines that maybe he didn't anticipate, if you look at his Instagram and you follow him on social media, he enhances the storyline with his own creativity. So I am interested to see what happens here, and I have no doubt that ultimately it will be a success. I do hope that Aleister Black beats Kevin Owens and this guy gets elevated, especially if they do end up having Drew McIntyre beat Randy Orton. The idea of a heel Aleister Black being the next challenger to Drew McIntyre, mwah, chef's kiss. I, I cannot wait for that if they go in that direction. Okay, Hurt Business, we had a bunch of segments with them. I'm gonna run through all of them really quick with the exception of Raw Underground. We'll talk about it, then we'll talk about Raw Underground after. 24-7 Championship, a scheduled Fatal 4-Way match. This was a total waste of time for me. I have no idea why Benjamin in a legitimate group is involved in this bullshit or why you keep having garbage matches and challengers when he has the title. Elevate the title to upper mid-card, or sorry, lower mid-card, 
have Ricochet go after it, have some of these other guys, rather than still have Akira Tozawa, R-Truth <laughs> involved in this. And yes, it does make Cedric Alexander look terrible, but at least they're doing something with him because later in the show, MVP confronts Cedric Alexander. And this is one of my favorite segments of the entire night because Alexander's there goofing off with Ricochet by the arm wrestling device or on it. MVP shows up and he said out loud exactly what I was thinking about in my head. That what stu- I was thinking like, what stupid booking? Why is Alexander having fun? He just lost a title match moments earlier. And it's exactly what MVP said. And he, yep. hammer- and he hammered him on it. Ricochet, I thought, had some gumption in him standing up to MVP and, and Alexander being the one to split them up, almost saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I am between these guys right now. Maybe it's not where I'm totally on Ricochet's side and, and being a good guy, and I don't know what I'm going to do. That was perfect. This was one of the most successful segments of the night to me. Then later on, you have the Apollo Crews, Bobby Lashley arm wrestling. This segment was also a win, and that really surprised me because what did we see? We didn't see a dumb face. Crews outsmarted Lashley by stomping on his foot. And then he outsmarted the Hurt Business by ducking, diving away from all of them and was once again booked really strong. So I love what they're doing with him. And if he ends up losing Sunday to Bobby Lashley, it's fine because he's had four months, basically three plus months that has completely elevated his profile. You now believe he can basically beat almost anyone he faces. And he looks strong here as he's looked strong in all of his title matches to this point. You know, Keith Lee was not the only person who lost a goatee. MVP did as well. Yeah, I, saw, I, saw I that. noticed that. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, I, I think it was overall a net positive for the Hurt Business. I, I, I still like that they've got their hands in a lot of different things. I think it, whenever you have a faction, wait, what are they at? They're at three. They're not a they're faction. Three. Yet. The group. They're, they're a group. We'll see what Cedric Alexander, if they get to that point and become a faction. But uh, yeah, I really like that point. We, we've we made that point. MVP has made that point uh, as well. And actually, Eddie Kingston made the same point similar later, uh, or I guess earlier on AEW, about taking things seriously. And I always appreciate that. So I, I, the, the arm wrestling, I could do without. It was kind of whatever. Um, but if it gets us to, to the match... It's fine. It, it was good seeing Mark Henry as well. Always good seeing him around. So um, overall, it was pretty good. If MVP, if his role, not just with the Hurt Business, but if his role is taking people like Alexander and taking them out of catering and putting them on TV, it is a victory. And so far, are we seeing what we want from Ricochet and Cedric Alexander? No, but we're seeing them every week. And that is a massive improvement from never seeing them. It's step one. I say it with Chad Gable all the time. Step one is getting on TV. Step two is doing something when you're on TV. No Mustafa Ali this week. I, 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 I'm i at a loss for what they're doing or not doing with him. Uh, it's really frustrating. It's almost as frustrating as Gable. But you know what? We'll, we'll see what happens here. Uh, Raw Underground, let's move on to that because that did end up involving the Hurt Business. This was weird. So uh, obviously new setting WWE Thunderdome at the Amway Center. So they had to redo Raw Underground. Uh, so let's talk aesthetics first. If they can have that many people there and the audience seemed to double in size, <laughs> why would you not take those people and put them in the front row of the Thunderdome? Like if you're going to do COVID tests for that many additional performance center and OVW types of talents for 10 minutes of total television time, you can use, you can do t- take those same tests 
and use them to enhance the main show. And I talked about it Sunday when we discussed the Thunderdome. And if for some reason you missed our instant analysis of WWE SummerSlam, go back and listen to it. At the beginning of the show, we talk all about our thoughts on the Thunderdome. Then just put these people in the front row. Let them be the crowd that kind of tells the people on screen what to do. And man, I just, I, I seeing them all tested just back for that one segment, I thought was weird. And then the new set, Chris, I thought it was fine. They got some of the same aspects of Raw Underground there, but the lights were way too bright. It, it seemed like it was a PG version almost of Raw Underground, when the whole point of Underground was to be dark and dingy and smoky, and they got rid of all of that. So it's all, you know what? This version of Raw Underground was almost like the WWE version of ECW. That's what it <laughs> felt like to me. So it's minor. We know that the, the Underground is not going to be a massive success one way or another, but it just felt like they took a really big step back from an atmospheric standpoint this week. Yeah, you know, I, I, we had wondered if they were going to do it at the Amway Center, if they were going to just leave it at the Performance Center, considering they're relatively close. Uh, close. Apparently they're not. Yeah, I didn't like the environment, I, but I, I, I still like and continue to appreciate that they're rest that they're wrestling in these small spaces, and it's basically leading to just ground fighting, and it's really making people like Bobby Lashley and Dolph Ziggler and Shayna Baszler and people who have these other fighting backgrounds. It's really accentuating those strengths and abilities, and gives you another look at them. So I really like seeing Lashley in that situation and what they did there so the idea of raw underground i i continue to like and think it's pretty good but i i'm with you on the the the, the stage the setup this time not as it's really getting away from what it was. i mean think it was what three weeks ago we had smoke in a club and dancing girls and all this music and now it's just now all of that's gone right um and all I, they, I, all I, they I, needed i don't think and i don't think it's for the better I don't even think they needed to remove the dancers, but I guess they got some pushback, so they did. But everything else they could have kept. The, the, mm. the, the two things that were bad about Raw Underground was the overly shaky cam, which isn't really removed, and the dancers, you could make an argument, were unnecessary. But the smokiness, the music, I thought it was repetitive, but as long as you change the beat and you make it a little bit lower, it's background noise, I would have been okay with it. I did like the crowd being larger, that gave it more of a like, oh, this thing's growing. Like people are really wanting to mm -hmm. watch it. But other than that, yeah, the atmosphere just didn't work. The rest of it, though, I thought was OK. Like like you said, getting real wrestlers there. First, they established what it is. Now the wrestlers have seen it and they want to get involved. Bobby Lashley coming out of the arm wrestling thing, being angry, demanding fights and brawling. And Dolph Ziggler stepping up to a challenge with Bobby Lashley. That was fun. And they even... Booking-wise, explained that, hey, yeah, they had Ziggler scheduled to fight Ivar, but he stepped up to this challenge, right? He didn't expect this to happen. Later, you have Cedric Alexander in there. He's getting tapped out by Lashley. And by the way, why are they hurting him when MVP is trying to recruit him? But OK, whatever. And then the Viking Raiders try to save him only for the Hurt Business to dominate. So now the Hurt Business for the second time, I think in three weeks or four weeks, is standing up at the end of Raw Underground. And you're like, OK, so are they taking it over? like they said they were going to, or are they just only using it when they get angry and get beat by faces and they need to take some aggression out, right? It, it's very tough to figure out what their role is, but while it felt like we made strides last week with Raw Underground, and again, using real superstars here was a positive, this one felt too disjointed and prettied up for my taste. I, I thought it was a 
step forward from a storyline standpoint. Um, again, again, the environment, not a fan, but I, I do think they moved the idea of Raw Underground forward once again. Okay, a couple more things. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championship on on SmackDown, obviously. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro defended against Lucha House Party. I got the desire to load up the SmackDown card, but this was a tag team match that was announced a couple hours before the show. They have to do better than that. Regardless, it was a fun match. They barely gave it seven minutes. It should have been 10 or 15. Those four are awesome wrestlers that could really, really cook if given the time. And you guys know on the show last week, I said that I kind of don't like Kalisto and I thought Lucha House Party is better without him. So I thought it was funny that he returned and right away there's animosity between the trio. So that worked for me. The fact that they gave them this opportunity, gave them this match, that worked for me. But man, it should have been twice as long. They they were tearing the freaking house down. I want to see more Lucha House Party. Yeah, again, it's kind of like giving us something pretty good, but not in the way we wanted it, which seems to kind of be a theme here. Um, yeah, would have liked more, would have liked more build up to all this. You know, Maybe they do a rematch at Payback or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it, it was good and, and just you know could present it better. We also had Biggie against Sheamus, and this was a fine match. The idea that the superstars were ringside because of retribution, them being a threat, worked. But I wish Biggie had won more definitively as he continued his streak, but he just did it with a distraction roll up. I mean, still. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want to see, right? And we did get it with Biggie and Sheamus, but it just kind of was a letdown the way it ended up ultimately getting booked. The, this was the first hint, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, of a schmoss type of finish. And two others were set up the same way. I mentioned with AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy. And then Lucha House Party also got attacked from behind backstage before that tag team title match. So I was really frustrated. I, again, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. They did all of this in the first 30 minutes of the show, Chris. But ultimately, the only one that ended up mattering at all was this. The other ones didn't matter. Yeah, I mean... I thought it was fine. I guess I didn't really have any strong thoughts either way on any of it. It was good to see Biggie, you know, distraction roll up, you know, it's fine. Sheamus is doing good work. I don't think Sheamus losing would have hurt him here. I think you could have had Biggie win. We'll see where it is moving forward. Actually, kind of actually, that reminds me. I want to ask you, did you see I didn't watch all of Talking Smack, but I saw the Miz Biggie stuff. Did you see that? I watched Talking Smack. It was great. Yes. Yeah, so Miz is really good in this role, and but it, it created a lot of uh, debate online over, yeah, especially yeah. the stuff about Kofi, and and we can just touch on this briefly because I know we've been going along already. But I thought it was, I, I thought Biggie made a really good case for what he's been doing, and, and you can really see the difference between the oh, just work hard and you'll be fine thing that Miz is making and Biggie really showing some of the nuances and different problems with all of it. I guess I would just say if you can go look up that clip somewhere, uh, I recommend watching because I think it's a real that that's a real life conversation between two guys who are who are had just have different views on kind of how this works. And um, I, I thought it was really just kind of enlightening to see that. And that's exactly the kind of stuff you want out of a talking smack. Yep. That's why it was really good the first time around. Um, and it's good to see Biggie, you know, continuing to, to stand up and, and, and be in these positions and say things that I think need to be said. Raw talk and talking smack are actually both good. Raw talk, 
Neither of them is necessarily better than the Renee Young hosted versions, but it is working out so far. Charlie's doing a really good job. R-Truth has kind of supplanted Samoa Joe as the co-host. They were supposed to have Xavier Woods be the co-host of Talking Smack, but then apparently it was Miz out of nowhere. So that was a little bit strange, but it was a really good show. I just suggest watching both of them. And, and this one in its totality, in terms of that. So two things happened here. And yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But one, I think Miz was kayfabing it up despite speaking what he felt was his truth. So I do think he was a little bit overzealous in kind of saying what he said. I agreed with every single thing that Biggie said. I also agree with the things Biggie did not say, but was intimating by his comments. Yes. And yep. it is this. Miz can talk about working really hard and he did face adversity joining WWE. He was a reality show star. The, the wrestlers didn't like him. He had to work really hard to get his spot. But you cannot compare being a white wrestler who had to work four years for a title match with John Cena and he won the title, The Miz. Actually, I don't think he won it from John Cena. I think he won it from uh, Money in the Bank cash in if memory serves. Uh, but he main evented WrestleMania, right? And retained the title. It was a, The Rock, I think, inter interfered if memory serves. But regardless, this guy main evented WrestleMania and he was WWE champion four years after joining the company. You can't compare a trajectory for a, a white guy like Miz who came in with a little bit of wind in his sails, at least in terms of name recognition. The guy like Kofi Kingston, who never really had a one-on-one -on -one WWE championship match, despite constantly being over, having a ton of fan support, and being there for 11 long years. It's just not in the same boat. You can say Miz worked hard and overcame adversity. That is true, he did. So did Kofi Kingston. And the only reason Kofi Kingston did is because fans pushed him to that moment. I think it is fair. It wasn't supposed to be him. Remember, we know that. We know it was it supposed to be. Yeah, co correct. So it was Kevin Owens. It was, it was a combination of Mustafa Ali and then Kevin Owens was supposed to have the match. Right. So I think it's fair that Miz said that he fought harder for his spot than Kofi did. I, I believe that. Maybe by personality, Miz is is more likely to be out there and get in Vince's face and maybe more confident in that regard. Kofi talked about, we interviewed him, and he's spoken that, you know, he doesn't really rock the boat that much. And it, it took them becoming New Day to really feel like they could stand up for themselves. But you just cannot compare being a white performer in pro wrestling and a black performer and the trials and tribulations. It is way tougher for Kofi to get to that spot. And Biggie now being someone who fans, again, the momentum is there. It's not an outpouring of momentum like it was for Kofi, but the situations are not analogous right now. With, yeah. Big, with Big E, he could have that exact same fan response, and I hope that we push him to that level. But you realize that he's getting the singles opportunity, and he's getting it at a time where they knew Roman Reigns was coming back. They have Braun Strowman and the Fiend in the world title picture. So what kind of momentum is he actually going to get? Is he going to get involved in the intercontinental title picture? Probably. But as well as he does, as many matches as he wins, are you actually confident that by the end of 2020 or by WrestleMania next year, that he's in the world title picture? I, I want to say that, but I can't say I'm confident in that, no, no doubt. And and going back to Kofi, I don't know if it was Big E, if he said it directly, but other people around who had been around the company said later on that the plan from day one was for Kofi to get squashed by Brock. 
Yes. And and Dave Schilling, the former the former right, co-host yeah. of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast said it that. was. It was Dave who was who was around there at the time and said the plan from day one was for Kofi to get squashed by Brock. Biggie mentioned that a little bit uh as well, I think. And never really kind of got that chance back. You know, it, it, it they just moved on from it. It was very clear that they were were, were, were moving forward with it. So it, it's worth watching for that. It's also worth watching Biggie and the Miz talking about um, the Miz criticizes Biggie for being goofy. And uh, Biggie talks about how he used to be serious and it didn't get him anywhere. And just really just is a really good show, really good conversations to have. And uh, I hope Biggie, you know, again, knowing he can step up and say these things and isn't afraid to will help him in the long run, hopefully get him to the world title picture by WrestleMania or something like that, because he certainly deserves to get there. And I'm glad he said what he said, and it led to some important discussions that need to be had around wrestling. Yeah. And I think we, we kind of just had one not to, not to do the Barry Horowitz too much, but I thought that was a good breakdown. And yes, um, the stuff about Biggie, you know, mischriticized him for being goofy. And he's like, look, it's getting me somewhere where being serious didn't. I was serious. I was an intercontinental champion. And what did it do for me? Right? Nothing. He started jobbing after that. So not jobbing, but started losing. So yeah, no, it's a really good conversation. I'm glad you brought it up. I did not have it on my rundown. So uh, great contribution. And, and surprisingly, this Kofi Kingston thing's going to come up very soon in this show, because I have a whole thing to talk about uh, when we get to AEW, Kofi Kingston and Brock Lesnar. So we will get back to that, I promise you. Uh, but Dave did say that about Kofi losing, uh, getting squashed. He said that on the show, actually. I, you know, we were still young, so no one picked it up. But that was always the plan. And you have to say, okay, him losing to Brock, that's a fine plan. We all predicted it. We knew that they were going to have that match and Lesnar was going to win the title at SmackDown. Kofi held the WWE Championship for six months. You knew he was going to lose to Lesnar when he came back. Like, it was obvious. But it didn't have to be in that way. And that's what we're yep. going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit later. Very quickly, let's finish up WWE. Uh, Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan beat the Iconics and Zelina Vega in a six-woman match. I really liked this match. In fact, Chris... Before the main event, this was my favorite match on the entire show. There was good action from all of them. Belair got over. She not only hit her KOD finisher, but the glam slam as well. This was a really fun piece of business for me. Yeah, just a really good match. I'm always curious when they do these six women tags, how you know how they try to tie things together and, and make sure it's not just a, a nothing match and they build off of it. And I think they did. They built into it. They built during the match and coming out of it. I think it's clear they have some plans and some stuff moving forward. And uh, yeah, th that was, that's the kind of showcase for those women that we've kind of been missing for a little bit. While it's been so much about Sasha and Bailey and Asuka, uh, you can see that there are a lot of other um, talented women in the company that are making their way up and, and should be getting more time. Primarily on Raw. They've been getting a yes. lot of time on Raw. SmackDown, not so much, but on Raw, you know that these, you know these women, if you weren't familiar with them before, you're learning about them. They combine two storylines here, um, you know, Bel Air and, and Vega and then Riot Morgan and the Iconics. The faces got to win. Now maybe Riot and Morgan have some momentum going into maybe a, another match next week that maybe potentially could be a number one contendership. I just really liked it. Like I was shocked that coming out of this, the things I liked the most were the main event, uh, the the uh, Cedric Alexander MVP interaction backstage and this. And when you have a three hour raw, those really should not be the three best things on the show, right? But right, that, right, that's it. That's really the bigger problem. But uh, speaking of, Montez Ford beats Angel Garza. The Street Profits won the tag team title match clean at SummerSlam. 
why are they still feuding? Why is Ford wrestling Garza again? The Ivar part, okay, it was funny. I don't need this Bachelorette woman on the show anymore. It's, <laughs> what, what else are they going to do with her? I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I do not understand what the point of her is. She is now you know, graduated to be ringside for matches. Uh, as Again, as someone who watches The Bachelor, I find this completely hilarious because it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. She's not that big of a celebrity to have her ringside. I don't know if anybody's watching because of her. Maybe they are. I don't know. I, I don't think so. Uh, and she's and she's a background piece to all of this. That's the thing. It's not like she's like in a starring role in a feud. She's just like in it for like a second, and it just it continues to make me laugh. Yeah, and she adds nothing. Like, okay, she's with Garza uh, a little bit. <laughs> now you have him with Ivar, but then Angela Dawkins co-ops her and announces that they have backstage footage, and now she's here and eating a turkey leg, and it's just like, I mean, I, she, listen, she must live in Orlando. She must be a WWE fan at this point. That is all I can figure out from this. Know, that, I don't know where she lives. That's a good question. She's but, from she's from Dallas. She's from Texas. If I she's from she, Texas, then why are they flying her into Florida then for time? Maybe her boyfriend lives she, there. I, like she, she might be. She might. I think she lives in L.A. now based on her Instagram. OK, so this makes no sense. Like if she was local and a fan and they're like, eh, you know, what, we'll figure out a way to use her. OK, but none of this makes sense. So uh, look, you know what? If anyone knows her, what's her name? Demi? Demi Burnett. If anyone listening knows Demi Burnett, I want to interview her on this show. I want to find out what's going on. OK, so tell her to contact me maybe for more reasons than one. But we will interview her on this podcast if I get that opportunity. I want to know what the hell's going on here. All right, finishing up with WWE, Natalia and Lana do a fake Hall of Fame ceremony for Mickey James. And I actually didn't mind the concept, except the way you do this is you say early in the show that WWE is going to announce a new Hall of Fame entry. And then you have Natalia and Lana show up and you, then you roll your eyes and you say, oh, you know, they're just it's cutting a heel promo. And then Mickey James comes out and beats them. Instead, they contained the entire thing into like a 90 second segment that it just made no sense to be on the show. Yeah. Nothing really to say other than exactly what you did. (laughs) All right, that's good. So that's WWE. And again, a reminder, I'll say it again at the end of the show. We will have an ultimate preview for WWE Payback Friday night after SmackDown, Saturday morning, whatever. We will do an ultimate preview and then we will have an instant analysis immediately after Payback on Sunday. But let's move over to AEW. And AEW, they've had to shift their schedule a bunch due to the NBA playoffs. They aired Dynamite this past Saturday. And by the way, did a very good rating, 755,000 viewers. Now, I don't know how much of that was boosted because it came off of the playoffs. The playoffs ran long, so people were waiting for the show. Did they maintain their audience? Did it Was it really big in hour one and then dropped off significantly in hour two? We don't know. But 755 for a Saturday move on a a dynamite show is really good. So they should be proud of that. The show itself, Chris, um, I kind of felt it was a one segment show. And I don't know if you agree very briefly before we break down everything. The majority of the show, I was not overly fond of, but I absolutely loved, loved the main event. Yeah, so I watched maybe about an hour of it until takeover started. And then I switched over to that. And then I watched the second hour after raw and watching raw and dynamite back to back as opposed to even opposed to NXT. And it really shows how different these shows are just the presentation, the feel and everything when you watch them back to back. And I, here, here's some of the things I wrote down that just made 
a difference to me. The a, the camera angles for AEW in Daly's place, they're so often either eye level or a little bit, you're a little bit above them and you're looking down a little bit as opposed to WWE camera angles are so often you're down at the ring looking up at people. There's a lot of outside the ring cameras and stuff like that. Uh, AEW promos, they're usually interviews with someone like Tony Schiavone um, it, 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 in the ring. I mean, not the backstage videos, but in the ring, you don't really have someone coming out and cutting a promo on nobody. It happens sometimes, but not a lot. I like that they had Tony Schiavone do an interview multiple times in the show. It, it makes him more of a character. It makes everything feel connected. They're not general public announcements. There's a reason this person is out there talking. It's because Tony Giovanni's interviewing them. Um, I, I, in everything in the show, you're right. It was generally a one segment show, but everything moves so fast that it never really feels like it drags and I can get through it feeling fine. Even when there's a an elite versus dark order match, I don't really have any interest in it's it. It, it flows well. It's fine. You, 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 raw, it, raw really feels so often that it's just kind of dragging out, stretching, trying to get to the three hours. I know these are unique situations right now, so it's a little bit different. But ever since Raw has been three hours, it, it has felt draggy. And AEW just moves quick. They go from promo to segment to, to, to match to commercial, picture in picture sometimes. They're back. They're moving. And it's just so much snappier. And it's just so much easier to watch as a viewer. Even when the things that don't work or, or I don't like, I'm generally okay with them because it's not. it, it feels like I didn't waste my time. We're on to the next thing. We're moving on. So I just overall, I thought watching Raw and Half of Dynamite back-to-back really kind of highlighted how different the presentations of these shows are. And I think Dynamite... Uh, gets gets a lot out of that for that. You know, n- not everything's good. We don't like all the people involved, all the stories, all the matches. Tag team matches are a problem. We've talked about that several times. But I really like their presentation. And I think that really goes a long way in terms of my enjoyment of the product. I agree. I mean, I, there's a lot of what they do from a presentation standpoint that I I like. And it, and it goes back to the production in terms of no shaky cam, fewer cuts, um, Daly's place, the atmosphere of it's really nice. Although WWE Thunderdome has certainly fixed that for, you know, th- that was a big issue for WWE that's yes. been fixed. Um, but I also look at the way their athletes, the, the, the superstars, the wrestlers are presented. And I think some of them are presented really well, but a lot of them in AEW to me just feel like other people. Um, they don't necessarily feel unique or special. Whereas WWE, even for people, they don't book well. Everyone feels like, and they do this on purpose because they try to sell, you know, fig- figurines and they want people to buy t-shirts and, and AEW does too. Um, but everyone has, a, everyone is a little bit more defined. They're, they're Trons, even if they don't have highlights of them, they ha- everyone has a logo, right? You have a, a general feeling of who these people are and what they're about. And I think with AEW, there's a I'll, lot I'll, of- I'll disagree, I'll disagree on that part, just in terms of who they are. But other than that, you're right. What, what's Dustin Rhodes' gimmick right now? A lot of the AEW gimmicks are just that they are people. Good wrestlers. Yeah, they're not. There's there's certainly too much of that. But, you know, we're generally. I'll also say this about AEW is that you say a lot of these people just feel like extra people. These people all feel new as well. And I I do think that. 
Yeah, it's exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Even though it's been a year plus of, of, of Dynamite or whatever, it still feels fresh because it's new. It's new people as opposed to people we see in WWE who we've seen for the last five years. And that certainly uh, just ha- naturally helps AEW regardless of whatever. They're, they can still introduce people like a Sonny K- Kiss or a Mark Quinn, and I don't know who they are, and it keeps me interested. So that freshness is still certainly a factor. I, I will definitely agree that that's just built into the naturally. No, it is. And, and it is nice. I, I also think that sometimes they use dark a little bit too much as expecting you to see it. Like if you're a WWE fan, again, we it's very rare we do WWE AEW comparisons. But if you're a WWE fan, the expectation is you're watching Raw and SmackDown. They're both on television and they're both main roster product. But dark is not dynamite. Okay. No, I don't. I don't watch dark. I don't watch dark. I'm actually right. a little bit behind. On so they built some well. storylines on dark, and they and they put people in certain positions, and, so, and they don't really develop the characters as much on dark, but they give background for reasoning that matches happen on dynamite on dark. But you don't get that. So I know AEW is by the end of the year supposed to have another hour or something on TNT or another Turner Network. So there should be more, and maybe this, you know, their plans got screwed up, and I give them the benefit of the doubt. But when I was watching. Dynamite this past Saturday, there were a lot of things that I really liked, but the show as a whole just kind of felt like, hey, we're kind of going through the motions again, with the exception of the main event. So let's let's get to talking about it. The main event was freaking fantastic. Brody Lee defeats Cody to win the TNT championship. But to just say that line is downplaying what actually happened here. (laughs) Brody Lee absolutely annihilated Cody. And as I said, I did not like it. I loved it. If you want to book complete domination, this is precisely how you do it. And you can compare this directly apples to apples with how WWE failed in the Kofi Kingston Brock Lesnar title change. Fans still would have been angry if Kofi lost the way Cody did because WWE fans and critics are WWE fans and critics. But it would have been so much more palatable when someone gets beat down over a couple of minutes versus eating a single finishing move and losing in a few seconds. There's also the consideration that Lesnar did not need to be built up in that moment where Brody Lee did after losing the title match to John Moxley and overall not being that impressive, right? This was very much a Rocky three match to me. And I think we mentioned, or I mentioned maybe Rocky four previously when I was talking about NXT, this was Rocky three. And continuing the beatdown afterward, the entire Nightmare family, including Arn Anderson and Brandy, pulling Cody off the stretcher, that was all a nice touch as well. I just thought this was so much more successful, apples to apples, compared to Kofi Kingston, where Kofi was built strong as a champion. He beat a ton of challengers over six months. Cody won 12 matches in a row when he was 18 and one going in. And they told you both of those things in each circumstance. SmackDown told us Kofi was winning a bunch. They told us, sorry, SmackDown told us Kofi was winning a bunch. AEW told us Cody was winning a bunch. But the way they then treated those people in that moment, Cody somehow, to me, still feels somewhat strong. Just he got taken out by a guy who was motivated and not as tired as he was. Whereas Kofi was made to look minuscule in comparison with Brock Lesnar. Yes. And... On the Cody side of things, it built up that over the last couple of weeks, it feels like he's getting too cocky. You know, they're calling him the Prince of Wrestling now. He's got all these nicknames. His whole Absolutely. family's out there when he does these matches. And we're and we're we're thinking, oh, this is building toward a Cody heel turn. 
well, maybe this is maybe this in the short term was building toward Cody's too cocky and he and he doesn't have that edge. And Brody Lee came in with that edge. And he even made a comment like that as well. Like Brody Lee was telling everybody like, you know, you guys made me do this. You guys said I couldn't do this. Like he emphasized that he has that edge and that motivation that clearly Cody hasn't quite had. Cody's just kind of celebrating things right now. So I it, it was a great it was a great way they set it up. Commentary. I think did a really, really good job to just emphasize how shocked they were by what Brody Lee was doing as it was going on. And then when it finished as well, you throw in all the stuff at the end with the family and they beat up the whole family and, and the dark order comes out at the end. Um, yeah, just really well executed all the way around for, from everybody for, for a lot of that reason. Now this doesn't suddenly mean I want to clarify. This doesn't mean I like the dark order. Or that I think no, this book, yeah. or, or that I think this booking got Dark Order as a group over. Brody Lee to me remains the only person in that faction I care about. But he did get put over strong here, not just because of the booking, but as I said, the stage that was set for him. Yeah, I agree. And uh, he Brody Lee needed this because his greatest strength is looking dominant in the ring. He's I, I'm not a big fan of his promos. Yeah, he, just, he doesn't he doesn't talk as deeply like just with his voice he doesn't sound intimidating compared to the way he looks so you need to kind of emphasize that with what he does in the ring uh compared to what he's doing on the the promo because i i'm i'm gonna on the dark order as well now let's move over and uh take this private party ftr match ftr wins what i appreciated most about it was it was a real tag team match and aubrey edwards ensured the rules were being followed throughout that's very stark in contrast to most AEW tag team matches. But I have to say, I thought it was a poor booking decision to put this in front immediately coming out of the NBA game. They should have gone with either a former WWE star of a higher caliber, like Moxley or something, or a high energy match to keep viewers captivated long enough to see Moxley, who was in that second segment. Instead, we got a long, slow match. It served AEW fans, and me as a viewer, I liked it, but I don't think they did the best job for the casual audience. Then we get Elite against Dark Order, and the Elite just dominated this thing, as they should have. But there's nothing else really to say about it. The most interesting part of it is what happened after the match, and that's with the post-match kind of consternation, Kenny Omega attacking the Dark Order or trying to, only for the rest of the Elite to stop him. And then later in the show, we see Hangman Page backstage in that segment, kind of getting brainwashed while he's drunk by FTR. And of course, on top of all of this, we have Tully Blanchard, who now seems to be managing FTR. And that's a great fit, but it's also clearly something to be expected since the day they joined AEW. So it wasn't much of a surprise for me. And last but not least, and then I'll let you get in here. I also like the gauntlet match booking for next week because it is a definitive way to determine a number one contender. And the tag team division, as I have mentioned numerous times, It's been a total joke in terms of how many tag team title matches they've had, who's gotten those opportunities and why they've gotten those opportunities. So now they're giving some order to the tag team division. FTR is looking strong. They should be the ones to win the gauntlet. They seem to be a really strong team. And Tully Blanchard is their manager. I just didn't think the order of operations, putting them first, was the best decision. So you remember after after our TakeOver show, or what was that, after the SummerSlam show then, I, I had mentioned that if I was to show pro wrestling to someone who's never seen it before, I would show them one of those takeover opening tag team matches that involved the Revival yeah. or DIY. 
or or um, or, or, or Oni or Oni and Danny Birch, those type of, of matches. And we got the revi- we got two really high flying good teams here that that I think could have had that exact kind of match, um, but we didn't quite get that match. It, it was like you <laughs> right. said, it was it it was right. it was slow and kind of prodding, not not kind of what you would expected. So I, I liked though I liked the idea of those teams being the first thing you see coming out of an NBA playoff match or NBA playoff game. But we didn't we just we didn't get the kind of match I think that could have really maybe grabbed a lot of people's attention. Um, otherwise. I do like the idea of the gauntlet match. Yes. We, we, number one contenderships should be being addressed like almost every episode here, essentially just kind of updating us on where things are, especially if those rankings are going to matter. I like the idea that four versus three winner faces two winner faces one makes sense. Totally. Gauntlet matches are always a little weird because you, you're trying to wonder why someone got a certain advantage. Right. So I think that's a great way to do it. I, I've really liked the FTR Adam Page, they're kind of buddy buddies with him, but you know they're gonna, you know they're really just trying to get in his head type of deal. I really like that they've been telling it over multiple weeks. You know, obviously with with alcohol involved and not with Kenny, I really like how that's been going. Um, I, I think we'll we'll kind of get there. I just, I think it's time to get these belts off of Kenny and Page. They've been oh, yeah. great. They, oh, they've yeah. been great, but it's just. They just they still don't feel like a tag team. And when you see all these great tag teams that are going on, you really kind of want to be like, okay, we've established the belts, we've established these guys. Let's really go all in on tag teams and let these guys kind of do something else. So yeah, no, um, that, sorry, that's yeah. a great point. They have Private Party, they have the Lucha Bros. They're, I mean, they they are we so we talk about it. They are the best tag team division in wrestling in in, in America, really in the world right now, in my opinion. So let the tag teams cook. I get that yeah. they're technically a tag team because they they made them one. They have a combo finisher but there's so much better things that those guys can do individually and so many better things that can be done with the tag team titles at this point it is time to move off of it and i hope that at all out ftr ends up being the number one contenders they beat them for the titles and then maybe they finally set up the feud with the young bucks that culminates yeah. at, the, at the next pay-per-view which is three or four months i guess after that so and, ho- and hopefully there are fans for that uh, obviously you want fans for uh, for for a major match like that and one other thing about tag teams Yes, we talked about that them actually enforcing tag team rules for once. The the, the elite dark order match I, I may have missed. Was that a tornado tag or no? I have no no. I don't think it was official because it's just, I mean it's, I, it's just a joke. They've got they've got. I, I like the spot of a pile driver on another guy who just got pile drivered, but like it's just in and out of the ring. Everybody, I forget who the legal man is. It's just it's e- either just make them all tornado tags or don't because it's it it, it is frustrating. Yeah, I, I say it all the time. It's just, yeah. I, I really I really hate it. Uh, John Moxley and MJF cut back-to-back promos. Moxley's promo work has been consistently good in AEW. This was my favorite period um, out of all of them, I think. The part about the toughest guy is not having to talk. Well, MJF talks so much, he's cl- clearly a coward behind all of his words. That was perfect. I think too much is made a little bit about quote-unquote promo freedom in AEW because most wrestlers, AEW, WWE, anywhere, are average whether they're scripted or whether they're on their own. But it makes differences for specific guys. Moxley and Cody are two of the ones who did not have that freedom in WWE. And you now see completely what they can do in AEW. I would throw Jericho in there, but Jericho had freedom in WWE. Do not get it twisted. The juxtaposition is so apparent between the two when you have Moxley cutting promos. It's more stark with him than anyone else. Then you saw MJF later on looking to outlaw the paradigm shift. It's a good heel move, and I like the stipulation because 
There's really no reason otherwise to believe that MJF could beat Moxley, even with Wardlow's help. So I do hope they follow through with that stipulation. I will say the MJF presidential shtick, the first time he did it was fantastic. A plus. It's progressively getting worse. And I know they're doing it because the debates are starting, the the conventions are starting and we're in election season and I get it, but it is starting to wear on me. So I thought his opening president promo was great. I thought the next one was very average. Anybody could have cut that one. I thought this this last one at the podium with everybody behind me behind him was fantastic. Oh, okay. he, he, he 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 just with you know with the neck brace on talking about hey daddy can we play catch? You know, tears in his eyes. Uh just I, I really, really like this one. This this was this was the kind of promo that only someone like MJF could uh could could knock out of the park and he did so i I thought they got back on the right track it it is it's a gimmick that everybody's done over and over again you gotta it's really tough to make it good and i think he got back on track to to doing that this time that's fair yeah i can definitely see why someone would like it just didn't hit right for me we have the jurassic express and natural nightmares defeating the lucha bros butcher and blade this match did absolutely nothing for me it was really really sloppy and it reminded me of all those times wwe used to get criticized for these multi-man matches every week. How many times do we have to have a six-man, eight-man, or ten-man tag in WWE? Everyone complained about it. Meanwhile, we are getting them all the time in AEW. And I did get a comment on Twitter when I think I said something like that. They said, well, at least in AEW, they use it to push storylines forward. But you know what? They did in WWE also. So you just, you can't criticize one and not criticize the other. I'm really getting sick of it. As shitty as this match was, the Eddie Kingston promo getting the heels together for what seems like potentially a new faction, that was really solid. And it looks like since Pac isn't going to be around uh, in the U.S. considering the travel bans, they're moving away from the death triangle. That's fine. Eddie Kingston as a faction leader is awesome booking. The Lucha Bros having a mouthpiece in him, great. Butcher and Blade have not been impressive to me on the mic either. So Kingston being able to bring these guys together, have a five-person faction with two tag teams, it's really smart to me. But they could have done this without having a really sloppy, honestly bad eight-man tag team match. Yeah, some of these multiple man tag matches in recent weeks have been good. Most of them haven't. Most of them have been pretty sloppy. There was the eight-man or one of the ones that had Jungle Express in it as well. A couple weeks back was sloppy as well. Um, but yeah, the, the Kingston stuff's good. It makes sense. I, I like... Coming off of the Tully Blanchard situation, whether that was, I don't know, if it was one week or two weeks ago, where he basically said, you know, you guys think you're the greatest tag team, but you don't have the belts. Kind of like a, hey, let's get serious now. And that's exactly what MVP did with Cedric Alexander. And that's exactly what Eddie Kingston did yep. here with these guys as well. Just kind of like a, it's, it, it's like, it's a bit of, it's just like a reboot. And it, they're just acknowledging straight up, all right, we're going to reboot this. And, and I'm okay with being straightforward and, and open about what exactly they're doing there. So I think it's a good idea. Eddie Kingston on the mic, just just like MJF, put him on the mic every single week, just in some form. It's, it's, yeah. it's only going to help you. It's only going to help your show if you do that. And I like, I looked like, I think Eddie Kingston winked at the camera or something. Yeah. Uh, at the end of that. So I just, I, I, I thought it, it saved it. Uh, kind of, it, it ended it and ended that bit, that segment uh, on a good note by by hinting towards something between all these people. 
It did. The wink was awesome. He worked the camera well. He works the mic well. He is like you talk about all these other signings, Brody Lee and all these other guys. And I know Eddie Kingston probably in ring won't have the longest career in AEW if they do last for a long time, which I hope they do. But he can have an impact greater than even like Taz does because he's still on the younger side and he's he, his promo work is just it's it's perfect. You know, it, it, it's top tier. I, I always I always say mic work to me, and I think the business numbers generally reflect this. Mic work is more important than in ring work. You have to yeah. stand out. You have to be different. Yep. It's exactly what MVP has done since he's been to WWE. He has added so much to the guys around him who he's put around him. Your Lashleys, your Apollos, your Cedric Alexanders, your Sean Benjamins. He is adding to a lot of people around him, and I think that's exactly what you can do with Eddie Kingston here. Um, uh, it, it just if you have these older guys who can work a little bit, but they're great on the mic, they provide you so much value, and you can rub that off onto a lot of other people. Hey now, uh, okay, so uh, the. <laughs> <laughs> the Mimosa Mayhem match and the introduction of that. Let's talk about this. Um, the video introducing the match, I thought the video was really funny because it played into Chris Jericho's like warped opinion of himself. I loved but, the video. I loved the video. It was funny. They hugged him up as the demo guy. It was clearly over the top. Yeah. I thought it was really funny. The video was great. Everything else, uh, I don't know. It didn't really hit for me. Like doing... A three-match series with these two. We've already had two. Orange Cassidy's already gotten over. Third match doesn't really excite me. But I know Jericho and Kayfabe couldn't stand losing to Orange Cassidy. So I guess that makes sense. And I guess dumping Orange and then Champagne and Mimosa, putting that all together and combining the two drinks for the two people, I guess that makes some type of sense. But I hope the finish of this match is Jericho winning by Orange Cassidy going in the mimosa because then he doesn't have to pin him and he still gets out of there looking strong and inner circle as a larger faction looks strong because in a mimosa match, you can't have a disqualification. They don't really have DQs in AEW anyway, but I don't know. The whole thing seems pretty corny to me. I got to be honest. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Jericho is, I guess, bigger than something like this. So... I, I I think you need to have Jericho win. I don't think Orange Cassidy would lose. I think he can kind of have fun with it if he gets thrown in there or something and he's fine. You know, he's not he's not a guy that needs to win to stay hot or anything like that. So and I, I think it does make sense in Kayfabe, but I think Jericho needs to kind of get back to bigger things. He's elevated Orange Cassidy, which I know is the point of this, and I think he can move on to something else. But there was something in his promo, Jericho's promo, that I thought you would uh, note and uh, appreciate, and that Jericho pointed out he has only been pinned three times since October 2019. Yeah, and I know. I actually noted it on the prior AEW show when he got pinned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Jericho brought that up, and that he really put Cassidy Orange Cassidy over by saying that, saying nobody gets me, you got me, I'm pissed, blah blah blah. We'll do something else. Th that's how you build somebody up. That's how you use. You take advantage of these records, these numbers that they should be tracking, and you can really use it to build people. And you 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 mention stuff like that all the time. You have you had all those Bailey stats for a while. Uh, that was a good use of that again. Um, and I, I and and lastly, I guess I'll say it can't really call it a little bit of the bubbly if it's eighty gallons. That's true. That's a lot. That's a lot of bubbly. That's very true. 
I didn't. I, I did recognize that they said it in the moment, but because I mentioned it the week prior, I just figured I didn't need to say it again. But I'm glad you brought it up because those things do matter, and that's another reason why Orange Cassidy's win was so good in that way because Jericho puts over in terms of win loss so few people that when you go back to a third match, Orange Cassidy winning doesn't really matter. People, yeah, can you laugh at Jericho? Sure. But it is all out. It's a big pay-per-view. So I'm glad you have him in a match on it. Maybe this was the plan for Mike Tyson. Tyson backed out. So now they're doing a third match with Cassidy to make up for it. Could be. I, I think that probably is the direction that we were going, where the Cassidy feud was just an in-betweener until Tyson could come back for the go-home shows. But now that they're doing it, look, look, uh, mind's open, right? Uh, open mind here. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. But going into it, it feels a little corny. And that's just where I'll stand on it. Darby Allen beats Will Hobbs. I thought this was just another kind of irrelevant match on the show. The aftermath, again, being more important than the match itself. I did chuckle at Ricky Starks mocking Darby Allen, but the rest of it, just kind of like the inner circle earlier, it just felt like bullying to me. It didn't really do anything. Like, yeah, of course, when you have Brian Cage and Ricky Starks, Darby Allen's going to get the shit beat out of him. Like, it's just how it's going to go. Uh, but it felt a little bit overdone that they just were bullying him as opposed to beating up a wrestler. So I don't know. It was fine. Starks was good, but I don't have much to say. I, I didn't. I actually didn't really care for the post-match uh, Ricky Starks coming out dresses him doing that deal. I, I, I didn't really care about that. I did. I actually kind of did like the match. I did like seeing Darby Allen matched up with a big guy. And, and how he adapts to that with his quickness and stuff like that. So I thought the match actually told a decent story. And I actually, I was a reverse. I didn't really care about the, the post-match stuff. Interesting. And it, it, right, it, it, it does feel like you're just kind of beating a guy down. You don't really, like, I, I, don't, I don't see how Darby Allen's going to get the upper hand here unless he has some other people help him because he's essentially a two-on-one, three-on-one all the time. Yeah, I mean, it was like, ha-ha, you're emo. And, and Ricky Starks, the way yeah. he did it, the way he did it, though, was, was good. But then after you're doing that to beat the person up, it felt like bullying in high school. And I just, I don't right. know. It was, it, it was over it. the top. It was over yeah, it top. was over the top. I didn't need it. Uh, Matt Hardy beat the shit out of Sammy Guevara. This was really good. It made storyline sense after Guevara cracked he Hardy's head open. A lot of H's and G's in there. Um, after he cracked his head open, even if that was accidental, I enjoyed the feud between these two. And I'm really excited to see the tables match next week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was when... Sammy threw that chair at him that mm -hmm. caused that gash. And so this had to be the reaction. Matt Hardy had to be incredibly pissed and violent and throw that back at him. So I think that's where it needed to go. And yeah, now that now you really have some fire and some edge for, uh, for, for their match. We now had the NWA women's champion, Thunder Rosa challenge Akaru Shida. And this is not a bad thing to have Rosa there. And I presume it's going to be all at all out. If I remember correctly, but it does show you how weak the AEW women's division is, that she can just come in, challenge for the title. And this is not Eddie Kingston, uh, you know, answering an open challenge for a TNT title. This is someone not on the roster challenging for the championship at a signature pay-per-view. And your thought as a fan is, well, you know what? That does make sense because who the hell else would she fight? So I hope Rosa ends up being a signing for AEW because she would actually boost their women's roster. But it just kind of seems like this is, hey, we need to have a women's match on the pay-per-view. It's a big show. We, the title should be on the line. We don't have anyone else to fight Hikaru Shida. Yeah, like, I'm not super familiar with Thunder Rosa. I know people are. 
high on her. I get the idea that, hey, I'm already a champion, therefore I can come in and demand a championship match. But I think you're right. More than anything, it just highlights the the roster problem. It's, it, it, it's, it's something that people criticized uh, the TNT Open Challenge for too many times. They were bringing in outside people. Uh, so I, I kind of got that same vibe. And then we also saw the finals of the Women's Tag Team Cup, Ivelisse and Diamante defeating the Nightmare Sisters. Look, people may hate on me for saying this. I get it. But this was, I think, my favorite match up to this point on the show. Very similar to the women's six-man on, or the six-woman match on WWE on Raw. Uh, Up to this point, I wasn't really loving the in-ring action, nor seeing much purpose in the matches actually happening. But this one I did. I thought it was good action, a good length, well-booked, not overdone in any way. I still don't understand the necessity or reasoning for doing a tag team cup when they could have done a singles tournament for a number one contendership, which then would have given a real opponent to Hikaru Shida. And you could have even had Thunder Rosa in that tournament. So they could have done all of this with the same women or similar women, the best of the bunch, and still had a tournament and had the same result. And boom, you're done. But I did enjoy this far more than most AEW women's matches on television. Yeah, I was not really familiar with the turn. I knew of the tournament, but I just hadn't watched any of it. I guess it's essentially Battle Bowl, right? I guess. Essentially the the format was kind of a tag team type of deal. Um, I I know of Heels. I haven't watched it. I don't really haven't gotten into any of that. But I I thought the match was fine. I guess I didn't have high expectations coming in. And so the match was surprisingly pretty good. I'm not familiar with. I'm not really familiar with the team who won, so it just kind of was what it was for me. Well, there were two women who competed in a singles match on eight, on Dynamite a few weeks ago, if you remember. Yeah, um, yeah. And then they teamed up for the tournament. So that that's basically how they came to fruition. But yeah, I just enjoyed it. I thought the, the women's stuff, you know, I was happy to see Thunder Rosa, and I thought this match was good. So, you know, got to give credit where it's due. I've criticized the the women's uh, division there, but this was a solid night for them. And and, and they were, even though it wasn't really two segments, it was like one and a half, you know, so it was more than one. So mm-hmm. step in the right direction. But but that is our breakdown of everything that happened in WWE, basically coming out of and immediately before SummerSlam, along with catching up on AEW Dynamite. As I said at the show open, we have a loaded week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. This is how it's going to work. Thursday night, immediately after AEW Dynamite, is off the air. The Silver King will be back breaking down this week's NXT and AEW. Why Thursday night? A reminder, NXT will air unopposed on Wednesday and AEW Dynamite will be preempted by the NBA playoffs to Thursday. So it will also air unopposed rather than do two separate shows considering how much we have to do. I'm just going to hold NXT for an additional day and we will talk both shows Thursday night. Then on Friday night, Immediately after SmackDown is off the air, we will do a WWE Payback Ultimate Preview. We will make predictions for the matches we already discussed and discuss the new matches that are added before SmackDown goes off the air. And we will be back Sunday night with instant analysis of WWE Payback. So three more shows this week. Luckily, the Silver King and Chris, we get a few days off in between because we've been going hot and heavy for about nine days or so right now. But I am excited to bring you more wrestling podcasting before the week is out. Chris will be with me for most of those shows, maybe not all of them. But man, oh man, we have plenty 
more to come. Remember to follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and you will know the second these shows are published and available on every single platform where you can listen to find audio. One of those is Apple Podcasts. Now that the show is over, head on over there, leave us a five-star rating and review. Look, another long show. We'll skip the savage goodbye. We need to get out of here. I'm saying goodbye for Chris. The Silver King says goodbye. That means I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.